We are in the Gospel of John today, and we begin chapter 19. In the bulletin it says we'll go through verse 16, but we're going to stop at verse 11 today. Um, so I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 of John 19. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. This is the inspired and errant word of God. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you write this word indelibly upon our hearts, that you give us understanding and give us, Lord, a desire to know you better and to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen. In the passage that we're reading in this section, we see that Jesus is in the hands of Pilate, uh, this Roman governor. But above and beyond that, of course, we see that Jesus is in the hands of God, the sovereign God, his heavenly father. Uh, and so Pilate, as it were, is, is dealing with Jesus. And he, he does his best to try really not to have anything to do with Jesus. He didn't want this to come before him. He believed that Jesus was innocent, and several times he had tried to, to release him. Uh, we, we have this confirmed uh, in, in the book of Acts. In Acts 3.13, the apostle Peter was preaching to the Jewish people, and, and he says, God glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up, and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. And so Pilate at least gets some uh, a commendation, as it were, in that he had was determined to let Jesus go. But he wasn't determined enough, was he? Um, he wasn't, because uh, even though he did everything he could to, to try to re- release or acquit Jesus, uh, in the end, um, he does sentence him to the cross. And of course there were uh, there were many human factors controlling his decision, many, many factors involved in, in his thinking and, and in his process, but uh, ultimately it was happening according to the foreordained plan of God. 
Uh, this, uh, these events uh, had been planned and purposed by God from eternity. Speaking of Jesus, Acts 2.23 says, as Peter again is preaching, he says, this man, Jesus, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. You see, both the divine sovereignty and human responsibility come out in that verse. And so even though uh, Pilate, the Jewish people, the leaders uh, were guilty of Jesus' death, they were responsible, yet ultimately it was due to the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Uh, Clearly, Pilate and these leaders were, were responsible, were guilty of a great sin, the sin of the killing of an innocent man. But God ultimately is the one who put his son on the cross. And you see what happens is, is God takes the very worst things and turns them for good. And of course he intended it that, to be that way all along. It's a reminder that if at the cross the greatest evil that was ever done, putting the, the innocent son of God to death, is turned to good, our good, salvation, then he's also able to, to turn lesser things that are bad, that are difficult, that are hard in your life and turn it uh, for good. And so uh, that, of course, is true only if you belong to Jesus Christ and know him uh, because it's those who are called according to his purpose that we can say uh, that God works things together for our good. So Pilate uh, commands that Jesus be scourged. Now, this was un an unjust action in itself because no crime had been proven and, um, and Pilate himself believed Jesus to be innocent. So why did he uh, have him scourged? Why did he do this? Probably to arouse sympathy from the Jews so that they would back off and not want to put him to death and think that that would be punishment enough. And then Pilate could let him go. Uh, that tactic did not work because when the Jews saw uh, a little bit of blood, they only thirsted for more. They didn't stop until they had killed him. Now, there were actually uh, three levels of scourging that the Romans used in those days. Uh, we typically think of the, of the really harsh uh, one uh, as, as being the, the, the one that they did. But they, they had a, 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 an initial uh, level, which was uh, for those who committed minor crimes, they would be whipped, but it wouldn't be too harsh. They would be whipped, and then they would let go a, seventh, a second level of scourging, which was uh, a little more severe. And then this third level of scourging was the worst. And um, that was when, you know, they had the, the leather straps, and, and at the end of those straps they had metal and sharp pieces of bone fragments. And when that uh, whip was used, it would shred the back. It would uh, reveal bones and even... Uh, inner organs, and sometimes people even died under that third level of scourging. Some scholars believe that, that there were two scourgings, and that this scourging was probably the lightest one, uh, and, and that sometime uh, after that, then he was scourged again. The re uh, with that, that third and, and worst uh, level of scourging. And, and the reason they did that, type of scourging that would almost kill you so that when you went to the cross, uh, it, it would uh, take less time 
for you to die. And Jesus did receive that kind of scourging, whether it was here uh, initially or a little bit later after that. We're not certain. But this, like all of Jesus' sufferings, uh, was a fulfillment of what Scripture had predicted. Uh, Isaiah 53 is very clear. It says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace uh, was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Uh, those wounds that he received from the flogging, from the scourging, were for us. He took our punishment. We should have been the ones being scourged. We should have been punished, not Jesus. He was perfect. He was innocent. We deserved it, but Christ did not. Verse 2 says the soldiers then put a crown of thorns upon his head and, and, and a purple robe. Uh, this was done in mockery, of course. Uh, but, the, but these thorns were these long, sharp spikes. And, and I was talking with someone this week, one of the men that I spoke with at uh, Home of the Heart, as I was speaking on Thursday morning, he, he said he had stepped on a thorn like this one time and it went straight through his shoe and pierced into his foot. These, these, th- these kind of thorns, this was the kind of thorn that was part of the crown that, that, that Jesus wore. It would have been quite painful for him. It would have pushed down upon his head and, and those, those thorns would have dr- been driven into his temples. Blood would have been flowing down his face. But the thorns also have a symbolic uh, reference or significance. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and God pronounced a curse upon the land. Remember what he said, that it would bring forth, henceforth, it would bring forth thorns and thistles. And so Christ wears his crown of thorns, uh, signifying that he is the king uh, who will deliver us from the curse. And he wears this robe, this purple robe of contempt. Uh, They're trying to say, look, he's royalty. Ha ha, we're making fun of, of him. Uh, But he wears this robe of scorn that we might wear the perfect, the robe of his perfect righteousness. Uh, The the soldiers began to mock him. Hail, king of the Jews. They didn't know what they were doing. I mean, they 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 kept hitting him in the face. They didn't really know who Jesus was. Um, They were just having fun. They were taking liberties. Of course, they were wrong in doing it. But Jesus said uh, this in Luke 22 53, he, he says, this is your hour and the power of darkness. And so his, he was in the hands of the Jews who sought to have him put to death. He was in the hands of Pilate. He was in the hands of the soldiers. And ultimately in the hands of the power of darkness. Satan was behind it all and Satan was having his turn. He was doing his best to humiliate Jesus to torture him, uh, to shame him. And here our Lord calmly and gallantly, majestically takes all that Satan has to offer. He knew, Jesus knew that one day the devil would bow before him and be banished into that lake of eternal fire. But for now he endures the rage of Satan that you and I who believe in Christ would not have to endure the wages of sin. And so this is, this is the good news. This is the good news of the gospel that Christ uh, took all of these sufferings upon himself, all the evil, uh, so that it could be removed one day.
from us. In verse 4, Pilate says, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. He repeatedly, Pilate repeatedly bore witness to uh, the fact that Jesus was the Lamb of God that was without blemish. There was no blemish to be found in Christ. Uh, No one could find uh, sin in him. You know, the interesting thing to me is uh, one of the greatest testimonies to the sinlessness of Christ is that uh, it, it came mostly from his enemies. Who, who would, of course, if they could have found something wrong that Jesus had done, would have brought it forward. But, uh, he, you know, we have Judas who betrayed Jesus, Jesus. And what did Judas say? He says, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. He testified that Christ was innocent a number of times, maybe up to seven times. Pilate is saying he found no fault in him. Pilate sent him to Herod and Herod couldn't find anything wrong. Uh, that Jesus had done. Pilate's wife had warned Pilate himself and said, have nothing to do with that just man. He's a just man. He's not done anything wrong. Uh, And even the thief dying on the cross, one of the two thieves, declares to the other thief, this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And, And then the Roman centurion who was standing by the cross as Jesus died said, certainly this was a righteous man. So we see all, even the enemies of Christ uh, testify to his sinlessness. They all concur with what Hebrews 4.15 states, that Jesus was in all points tempted as we are, and yet without sin. So Christ, as we know, was without sin, so that he could be made sin, that we might be declared righteous. In verse 5, Jesus uh, says, Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them these famous words, Behold the man. Behold the man. And I think that's what uh, the scripture wants us to do as we read a passage like this, is to stop and behold our Savior. But he was trying to to appeal to the Jews' pity as if to say, look at this man. Uh, Hasn't he suffered enough? Uh, He doesn't deserve to die, does he? He doesn't have to die. But the chief priests and the officers look at Jesus and they have no pity whatsoever. They knew he was innocent. And they yelled, crucify him, crucify him. So they rejected their king. He had come unto his own, but his own received him not. Uh, They didn't want Jesus to be their king. Uh, They were already in, they had some level of power and authority. Of course, they didn't have ultimate authority. Rome ruled over them. Uh, But they certainly, and they had hoped, or at least some had hoped, that Jesus would deliver them from Roman authority. Uh, but Jesus, of course, was not that kind of a savior. And so they rejected him. They didn't want uh, a king to rule their lives. And, you know, Jesus Christ stands before us in a manner of speaking, and we are called to behold him. What, in essence, are we going to do with Christ? Is is the question that's put before each one of us. We, you know, can we look at him and see him as 
one who is suffering and has gone through all of these things, the thorns, the, the mocking, the, the, the blows, uh, the, the beating, can we look at this one and reject him? Um, there's a hymn that we sing, um, and, and it says, See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? And, and, and then later, part of another stanza of that hymn it brings the, the concluding application for us. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. There is nothing less. Jesus is the King. And... He's gone to such lengths for us. The only thing we can do is to offer him all that we have, all that we are. Well, Pilate still tries to release Christ after they call for his crucifixion. And, and he, he gets impatient with the Jews. You take him and crucify him for I find no fault in him. Well, he knows that they can't do that legally. They're, they're not allowed to do that. But he dares them. Go ahead and do it. You do it. I don't believe he's guilty. And so he's trying to get out of it, but the Jews won't let him. Uh, they bring up this other issue here. He says, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Now, that's the real reason they, they, they would put forward for uh, wanting him to be put to death, this issue of they believed he was blaspheming God. Uh, Pilate was not a particularly religious person, but he was a Roman, and he would have participated in, in the worship of the gods. There were many gods, and, and in Roman mythology, some of the gods were known or said to have taken on human form. And, and even though he wasn't really very religious, he was superstitious, like many unbelievers are, and uh, he, he did not... Uh, have a true fear of the living God, but he was afraid Jesus might be one of these gods who, uh, you know, took on flesh and was standing before him. And so he wants to to tell, talk to Jesus. He's like, you know, he wants to know where you're from, uh, meaning not what town, but are, are you really one of the gods or something like that? And Jesus doesn't answer him here. Uh, why was he silent? Well, uh, he didn't give him an answer because Pilate didn't deserve an answer. Uh, Pilate was not wanting to know for his own sake uh, that, that Jesus, you know, who, who he really was. He didn't care uh, to, uh, to truly know or worship uh, the Lord. And, you know, that's true today. Uh, you know, there are people, there are unbelievers, there are skeptics who, who will say, well, if God would, you know, show himself in, in some miraculous way, you know, or why doesn't God show himself to be, you know, who he is and, and make it obvious, then, um, you know, well, God's not going to reveal himself to those people because they really don't want uh, to follow Christ if they hear about him. Uh, they are still bent on going their own way. You see, God does not reveal himself to those who are of a proud heart and mind who demand that God do this or do that. No, uh, we must humbly come to God and ask and appeal to him, but we can never demand it. And so and God, the Bible in the book of Isaiah says that God dwells, he comes to those who have a humble and contrite spirit. Uh, 
we we can demand nothing of God. We can only appeal to His grace and mercy. And Pilate, of course, didn't have a humble and contrite spirit. He was a very proud man. But if he had humbled himself before the Lord, the Lord certainly would have forgiven him. Uh, Pilate has opportunity after opportunity to put his faith in Christ. He's already been told a lot. He's already been given much light from his previous conversations with the Lord. Uh, and so it's come to a time now that, that Jesus uh, is, is basically turning off that light. And Pilate had the opportunity, but the door is being shut on him. And that's true, you know, of people today. Uh, J.C. Ryle notes that most men like Pilate have a day of grace, an open door put before them, and if they refuse to enter in and choose their own sinful way, the door is often shut and never open again. You see, we, we don't know what the future holds for us. Uh, when I came to know Jesus, when I received Christ, when I was saved, just before that time, I didn't know, but I had this distinct uh, thought that perhaps this is my final opportunity. Perhaps uh, if I don't come now, I may not have another chance. And maybe uh, that's true today as someone hearing my voice, whether here today or through uh, a recording of this sermon. And you're listening to it and you're uh, and you're undecided about Christ. Today, you see, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I would urge each and every one of us to open our hearts to the Lord uh, and, and, and receive him. Because tomorrow certainly uh, may be too late. But Pilate said, are you speak, not speaking to me, Jesus? Do you not know I have the power to crucify you, the power to release you? Well, Pilate, he was afraid, but he didn't really have the fear of God because he's speaking very arrogantly to uh, the one who is the sovereign Lord. And that's what pride in the heart does. It leads a man to speak proud and boastful words. Um, but, but it is God who has the last word. And Jesus says, you could have no power at all against me unless it was given you from above. Uh, Pilate thought that he had power over Jesus, but it was really the other way around. The other way around. And so people today think that, uh, that they have the power to decide uh, whether or not they are going to believe in Jesus or not. They have the power to direct their lives and so forth. Uh, but it is Christ alone <clears throat> who has that power. And you and I cannot come to Christ unless the Father draws us and enables us to come. And, and likewise, no human ruler has any, any real power independently of God. All authorities have been established by God. Uh, there's no authority except from God. And so everything is under his control. Pilate's authority had been delegated uh, by God to him. And uh, it was limited as, at the same time by God's sovereignty and his purpose. And so uh, Jesus was reminding him that, that, reminding Pilate that his authority was a trust given to him by God and it was limited 
by God. Verse 11, Jesus went on to say, Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Interesting statement. What did he mean? What did Jesus mean by this statement? The one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. First of all, he was saying something obvious that Pilate was indeed guilty of sin. Um, there's someone who has a greater sin, but Pilate, you, you have sinned. You are sinning by, uh, by doing the things that you're doing with me. And even though it was uh, the will of God for Jesus to go to the cross by way of the sentence of Pilate and so forth, this does not excuse his sin. You know, there are people who want to say, well, this is God made me this way. Or, you know, if, we, if, if God makes everything happen, foreordains everything that comes to pass, how can he hold me responsible for my sin? Well, he does. He absolutely holds you responsible. You know, and I know, I, we know our guilt. We know that we, we are guilty and we deserve uh, to be punished. And Pilate was guilty. And again, by identifying his action as sin, once more he's giving him an opportunity to see his sin and to turn from it. The first step in coming to Christ is to see your guilt and own that guilt and confess it before the Lord and to, to repent, to turn from it. Uh, interesting to notice what Pilate did. We don't read this in John's Gospel, but in Matthew 27, 24, um, I preached on this before, but Pilate took water and he washed his hands before the multitude. And he says, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. As if that could cleanse his sin. We know that, uh, that, you know, that, that symbolism was a nice thought, but he, we know that that doesn't wash away. Our sins. We we think of the uh, of the outward uh, ordinance of baptism, which is meant to be a picture of washing away of sin. But the water of baptism uh, does not wash away your sins. Uh, it is only uh, through faith in the Lord Jesus and trusting in Him alone uh, that your sins are forgiven. And so Pilate forgave himself, but God. Did not forgive him, and you know every time we say the Apostles' Creed, Pilate's guilt uh, is stated right there that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified, dead, and buried. Uh, so, so Pilate excused his sin. Uh, he thought that he could get, you know, that 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 somehow his guilt could be removed since he declared that Jesus was innocent. But again, he, 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 he still had him sent to the cross, so his guilt remained. And so how easy it is for you and me to, to make excuses for our sin, isn't it? Um, you know, well, I know I'm guilty, but my sins are not as bad as others, so I'm okay. Or, uh, my sin's not so bad because I, I meant well. I had a good intentions with my actions. Um, or, God will overlook my sins because he knows how difficult my life has become. You know, we, we look at some people and we say, well, they had a hard life. We kind of give them some slack, you know. Uh, they, they had a rough life, a difficult upbringing. So that somehow absolves them of guilt. No, it does not. 
It does not. It's another excuse that, that does not hold water. Or God won't hold my sins against me because He knows I've, I've tried hard and I've, I've done a lot of good in my life. No, all these excuses for sin do nothing to remove guilt. Only repentance and faith and trust in the blood, the death, the righteousness of Jesus Christ can remove our sins and cleanse them. Well, in verse 11, Jesus also wanted to make it clear that though Pilate was guilty, yes, that that there were others who had a greater guilt or greater sin. And these were the ones who delivered Jesus up to Pilate. Uh, And that would have been, uh, first of all, Judas, who betrayed him. And then it would have been the the Jewish leaders, Annas, Caiaphas, the high priest, uh, who ultimately were planning and plotting his death. And so Jesus is teaching us a lesson here that all sins are not equally the same. Some sins are worse than others. There are degrees of sin. There also are degrees of punishment. I won't get into that, but there's scriptures that that teach that as well. Every sin deserves the wrath and punishment of God. That's that's a fact, according to Scripture. But some sins are more heinous than others. In Luke twelve forty eight, Jesus said this. He said, For everyone to whom much is given, much of from him will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him they will ask the more so the question we need to ask is why was uh, let's just pick Caiaphas out why was Caiaphas's sin greater than Pilate's what makes him uh, you know some sins more heinous than others well concerning Caiaphas I think there's four things that we can say first of all Caiaphas had greater malice and forethought in his sin uh, and, and what he did in, in, in bringing Jesus to Pilate. Pilate uh, didn't want to have Jesus crucified. Caiaphas did. Secondly, Caiaphas' sin was worse because he knew the Old Testament scriptures. And so he was sinning against greater light. Pilate didn't know the Bible, really, at all. Uh, third, Caiaphas was guilty of a greater sin because of his office as high priest, it was one of greater responsibility before God. He was one to lead the people of God and to teach them the knowledge of God. And yet, um, he wanted Christ dead. And so Pilate, he didn't know these. He didn't have the office of high priest. He was just a lowly governor. And then last, Caiaphas' sin was greater because he also influenced many others to join him in his wicked plot. Uh, and in his sin. So, so every sin, from the very least to the greatest, deserves the wrath, the punishment of God. Um, and every sin, even the least, uh, in order to be forgiven, must be cleansed by the blood of Christ. It can only be cleansed by his blood. But that does not mean, for example, that an unkind word is on the same level as the sin of murder. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, if you're a Christian, some sins are worse than others. Okay? And so, and yet every, with, with every sin, with any sin in your life and in my life, our desire should be that that sin not only be forgiven, but be put to death, as we talked about earlier in Romans 8. Uh, so here's, here's the thing. 
We should desire, as, as, as the Apostle John said in First in, in John, he says, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. Okay, that should be our desire, to, to, for sin to be as rare as possible in our lives. But if we do sin, then we should strive, as far as by the grace of God, as far as is possible, uh, to keep that sin from blossoming into something worse. Uh, you know, I, 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 I could quote a famous line here, right? Nip it in the bud uh, from uh, Barney. But um, even small sins you see in, in your life and my life, no, they're not as bad as they could be. But uh, those sins, those little sins should not be tolerated because small sins are seed sins. And those seeds could grow and blossom and bear more fruit unless they are put to death. So don't tolerate even the least sin because it could become a worse sin in your life and in my life. Well, as we wind up, Jesus, again, he was not trying to let Pilate off the hook by saying his sin was not as great as that of others. But uh, he did want it to be known where the, the great, greatest part of the guilt lied, that, that, that Caiaphas and the Jews, uh, who had been given much more light and knowledge of the truth, um, were more guilty. Judgment would be greater. Uh, and Jesus uh, outlined this in Matthew 11:21. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works were done in you that had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than you. Uh, Tyre and Sidon, they're going to be judged. But you... Uh, the people of uh, the Jew, you know, these Jewish towns uh, who heard the gospel, who knew the truth, would have a, a har- harder judgment. And what about us in, in America today? All that we have heard, all that we have been given spiritually and biblically, um, so much has been given to us. Certainly, we are without excuse if we don't repent. Our judgment will be great because our opportunities have been great. And as we close, consider again what Pilate said in verse 5. He said, Behold the man. That's what we're to do today. We're to behold our Savior. We're to look at him and to look at his sufferings, to see his perfections, his sinlessness, his royal dignity, his majesty as he, as he suffers in quiet and humble submission to the Father's will. Behold the Lamb of God. As John the Baptist said, Behold that lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the man, and he's more than a man. He's the God-man. He's the mediator, the only mediator between God and man, the only Savior, the rightful Lord of all mankind. Behold the man. And then Pilate later says, Behold your king. Uh, He is our king, if we're Christians. Let's live under his lordship. Let's acknowledge Uh, that lordship let us confess uh, let us believe in our hearts but also confess with our mouths that jesus is lord that he is king let's pray